Welcome to the Plan B CRNA podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Jones, and I wanted to let you know that I'm changing things up a bit this summer. One of the benefits of passive income is being able to buy your time back. And that means for me, it's time for a vacation. It's pretty tough to do interviews though when I'm out of town. So in lieu of guests, I've decided to provide some education about real estate and apartment investing since this has been the key to my own financial freedom. I'll cover various topics that are integral to your own understanding for the entire month of July. Don't worry though, I'll be back with more Provider Spotlight interviews in August. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy your summer and these episodes. Now, on with the show. Hello, my name is Bobby Jones and I'm a retired nurse anesthetist turned apartment investor. I'm also the founder of On Call Capital, an equity firm that seeks to educate fellow healthcare providers and working professionals about alternative investing while also providing you with opportunities to do so. Today, I'd like to talk about something that comes up often in investor conversations, the subject of bonus depreciation. Now, I'm not a CPA or tax professional, so this is simply a broad overview that shouldn't be misconstrued as tax advice. Let's start off with the basics. What is depreciation? The answer is simply the decrease in value of a product over time due to wear, tear, and age. Think of buying a new car. Eventually, it is worth less and less over time as the mileage and wear and tear begin to build up. This is known as a depreciating asset. In accounting, when a business purchases equipment, they are able to spread out the cost of an asset over its useful life for tax deduction purposes instead of expensing it all in one year. This can be good for a company from a profit and loss standpoint. If a company makes a big purchase, it can negatively affect their overall earnings for that year. The preference is to spread out the cost over the useful life of an asset so that the company can benefit from the increased earnings of the purchased asset without a big earnings hit in year one. There are many different types of depreciation, straight line, declining balance, DDB, SYD, ACDC, STP, FOB. Wait, I I think I'm just naming bands now. Let's just say I'm not looking to get into those weeds. The important thing to remember is that this is an accounting tactic that helps businesses report a loss in a certain fashion on paper. They still spent the money to make the purchase, regardless of how the accounting looks. Let's move into real estate now. On the other hand, bonus depreciation is a tax incentive that allows a business to immediately deduct a large percentage of the purchase price of an asset, in our case, apartment buildings. In the first year, they can do this rather than write it off over the useful life of an asset. The Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017 made major changes to the rules of bonus depreciation. The biggest change was increasing the bonus depreciation deduction from 50% to 100% of a qualifying property. While what that means is that you can take 100% of that deduction in year one. Now, while this does phase out in, by 2027 in its current form, it's a powerful tool right now. Historically, residential real estate has been allowed to depreciate over a period of 27 and a half years. So a purchase of a $275,000 property, not including the land, would yield $10,000 in depreciation each year for the next 27 and a half years. That's a great benefit for sure, since real estate has actually been shown to be an appreciating asset. But what if you don't necessarily want to own the property for that long? That's where bonus depreciation comes in. It allows you to accelerate that depreciation into year one of owning a property. Combining that with a cost segregation analysis, 
An investor can then take that depreciation and apply it to any passive income that you have, saving top earners tens of thousands of dollars. If you're a part owner in a group practice or you invest in businesses, it's possible that you receive K-1 passive income that can be shielded by this depreciation deduction. This is where you can really add to your overall returns, but you don't have to be a big shot to benefit here. Another benefit is the ability to still spread out your bonus depreciation over the time that you own an asset. Let's say your K-1 statement for an investment shows that you have $35,000 in depreciation deductions in 2020. If you're getting cash distributions of $5,000 per year, you wouldn't use all of that $35,000 in the first year. But you can march out that depreciation over the next seven years to completely offset that income. Your window for using that bonus depreciation lasts as long as you own the asset, which is typically five to seven years for an apartment investment. What this means is that you can essentially create tax-free or tax-minimized streams of income by investing in apartment syndications. Pretty cool stuff, eh? As with any investing, though, you should check with your tax professional to make sure that you are taking the right steps to keep as much of your own money as you can. With high earners, it's not necessarily about how much you make but how much you actually get to keep. Another common term that you'll hear about in the apartment investing world, that term is cost segregation. Cost segregation is a well-known tax strategy that allows real estate investors who have acquired, built, or purchased a property to reduce their taxable income. An owner hires a professional to conduct a cost segregation study on the property to determine which components qualify for accelerated depreciation over five, seven, or 15 years instead of the standard 27 and a half years for residential properties. This allows a property owner to write off assets at a more accelerated rate, thus increasing their business's benefit to investors and lowering the owner's income tax rate. So how does a cost segregation study work? Well, the professional you choose to conduct the study preferably has experience in engineering, architecture, construction, and tax accounting, since all of these components are necessary for completion of a proper analysis. The study itself separates certain non-structural elements along with land improvements and assigns them separate depreciation schedules. For example, the ventilation system may be good for 15 years, so it would be depreciated over that time period, also known as a recovery period. However, carpets and wall coverings have a recovery period of five years, allowing for an accelerated depreciation of those assets within a property. Window treatments, cabinets, specialty plumbing, lighting fixtures, computer systems, storage tanks, and many other items qualify for inclusion in a cost segregation analysis. The recovery period can be separated out for each of these items in turn, and they can vary widely by property and project type. You hire a professional for this reason, but make no mistake, these professionals command a pretty hefty price tag. A single cost segregation analysis can cost ten dollars to $15,000 or more. This means that they aren't really designed for Joe Schmo, who owns a couple of single-family rentals. He just isn't going to generate enough income or tax savings to justify the expense. But this type of thing is perfect for many apartment properties. Most business plans at this time take cost segregation into account as they are designed with five to seven year hold periods. After that, any accelerated depreciation is used up and the purchase of a different property becomes more profitable than holding on to the old one. Combined with 100% bonus depreciation, cost segregation is a powerful tool that front loads depreciation to save apartment investors tens of thousands in tax dollars. These savings can significantly increase your returns on a given project. 
I'd like to take the chance to go over one of the most powerful tax benefits that you can take advantage of when you own and sell real estate, the 1031 exchange. A 1031 exchange gets its name from Section 1031 of the U.S. Internal Revenue Code, which allows you to avoid paying capital gains taxes when you sell an investment property and reinvest those proceeds from the sale within certain time limits into another property or properties of like kind and equal or greater value. This essentially allows your investments to continue growing with tax-deferred status. There is no limit on how many times or how frequently you can do a 1031 swap. You can roll over the gain from one investment property to another over and over again. And if this works out as planned, you'll pay only one tax at the long-term capital gains rate, which is currently 15 to 20%, depending on your income, and 0% for some lower-income taxpayers. Now, while this is often considered to be a like-kind exchange, that phrasing can end up being pretty inaccurate. You can exchange an apartment building for raw land or a ranch for a strip mall, but this doesn't mean you can do anything you want to. The 1031 is primarily for investment and business property. Sure, the rules can apply to former primary residences under certain conditions and can even be used for swapping vacation homes. But you should make sure that you're following the rules to avoid getting caught with an unwanted tax bill. Now, this all sounds well and good, but there are some timing components to consider. 1031 swaps often end up being delayed exchanges, meaning that you utilize a qualified intermediary who holds the cash after you sell your property and then uses it to buy the replacement property for you. This three-party exchange is treated as a swap. There are two timing rules that you must follow in this case. The first is the 45-day rule. Once the sale of your property occurs, the intermediary will receive the cash. And with 40, within 45 days of the sale of your property, you must designate your new replacement property that you wish to acquire in writing to that intermediary. The next is the 180-day rule. You must actually close on the new replacement property within 180 days of the sale of the old property. Now, one potential major long-term drawback of the 1031 exchange is the large lump sum tax payment at the sale of an exchange property that ultimately isn't 1031 into a new deal. One way to effectively eliminate the requirement to pay taxes on your deferred gains is to continue to 1031 your properties until your death. This is due to the stepped-up basis concept, which is pretty powerful. The scenario works like this. You pass away, and your 1031 property is inherited by your heir or heirs from your estate. The replacement property will now have a stepped-up tax basis equal to the property's current fair market value. As a result, the deferred gains are effectively eliminated. So let's look at an example. Let's say you sell your first investment for $200,000 with a $50,000 gain at sale. After a handful of 1031 exchanges, you now own properties worth $2 million. If you were to pass away prior to selling the $2 million exchange property and it's inherited by your heir, the tax basis is stepped up to the fair market value, which is $2 million. If your heir decides to sell the property at the fair market value, Rather than paying a capital gains tax on over $1.8 million in gains, they won't have to pay capital gains taxes at all. That could mean over $300,000 in tax savings for your heirs. 
Now you can see why the 1031 exchange is such a great tool in the real estate investor's tool belt. As long as you continue to implement the 1031 strategy until your death, you are able to pass on all of your capital gains to your heirs tax-free. Now that's how you create legacy wealth for your family. Now, there's a lot more nuance to this subject, which is why I recommend seeking out the help of a professional 1031 exchange company when you are selling a property. One example is IPX 1031, the largest qualified intermediary in the country. You can find out more information uh, about what they offer at www.ipx1031.com. A less common strategy that can also be beneficial to certain real estate investors. It's called the 721 exchange. Now, if you'll remember, the 1031 exchange allows an investor to defer capital gains taxes when selling an investment property when you reinvest the proceeds into a like-kind property. A 721 exchange is similar in that it allows an investor to defer capital gains taxes to transfer an investment into a real estate investment trust, or REIT, or an umbrella partnership real estate investment trust, or UPREIT. There are a few different benefits here. Passive income. REIT shareholders are completely passive. Managers oversee the complete operations of the REIT, allowing investors to be completely hands-off. Investors take part in acquisitions, dispositions, and distributions without any of the headaches of actual decision-making. Tax advantages. Just like the 1031, the capital gains taxes are deferred. You are able to use 100% of your gains to purchase shares of a REIT instead. This strategy should be weighed against the fees required to complete the 721 exchange itself, meaning you need to have a decent-sized sale. Diversification. REITs carry numerous diversification benefits. Generally speaking, a REIT will have properties located in many different locations across the country. They may have different asset classes uh, for diversification as well, giving the shareholder greater diversification than owning a single property. Estate planning. When an investor is thinking about passing down assets to their heirs, the 721 can be quite useful. Physical real estate can be challenging to sell, and it can lead to conflicts in how to divide the assets later on. Use of a 721 can largely eliminate this problem. Upon an investor's death, the REIT shares can be more easily divided amongst the heirs, who can then continue holding them or liquidate them however they like. They also receive the shares on a stepped-up basis, just like with a 1031, thus allowing the heirs to avoid all capital gains and the depreciation recapture taxes that were deferred by the estate. Now, as with the 1031 exchange, a 721 exchange requires an intermediary to carry out the swap. But the real catch here is that a 721 is truly just a delay of a taxable event. Once it's completed, an investor is unable to switch a 721 back to 1031 status, which means that any sale or disposition of the REIT shares carrying forward can trigger a taxable event. An investor can often choose when this will happen, allowing for tax planning, but not always. Now, while this isn't my favorite type of exchange, it can be helpful for certain types of investors. Do your research and reach out to professionals before you decide whether or not this is right for you. That's going to do it for the show. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Plan B CRNA podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, make sure you hit subscribe and give us a five-star review. This show only grows because of you, so make sure you share it with a friend, family member, or colleague to help them on their own passive income journey. 
And if you'd like to know more about me and gain access to passive investment opportunities, make sure you find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, or visit my website at www.oncallinvestments.com. This is Bobby Jones signing off. Until next time, be safe and take care of each other out there.